Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Kevin Conroy. And I am the goddamn Batman. Hello. Gotham Cornerstone. Yes. We seem to be down to our last diet. A gentleman is on his way to pick some up. Just look for a black car. No, this black car will be rather difficult to miss. And by the way, the gentleman is usually in quite a rush. Just for the taste of it, diet coke. There is nothing wrong with your podcast player. Do not attempt to adjust the volume. Hello and welcome back to our studio. You are now inside Studio 2009. I'm, of course, TF1 Mike. Joining me is Steve Megatron. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? I am well. This is episode 14 of Studio 2009. I can't believe we made 14 episodes so far. Woo! And last week, and this is not a normal thing, folks, it's just how it had to happen. Last week, we actually had our first special guest star that is not a podcast approach episode because Steve is more Trek than Wars. So thank you to Birdman for starting off the 12 months of Star Wars here inside Studio 2009 with me. And now this week we're going to talk about Burton's Batman. Now, if you're a longtime GCRN listener, you'll know that we have covered Batman, we have covered Star Wars in the past, but that's in the past. And those audio recordings probably sound like crap now. And they're way too long. (laughs) Well, yes, that too. So my thought was, okay, let's go by, not necessarily a director spotlight, but let's go by director. Let's talk about the Burton films, and then at a later point, somewhere down the line here inside Studio 2009, we're going to talk about the Schumacher films. So he wants me to die. Oh, please. Knock it off. (laughs) Anyway. So, yes. uh, Burton's Batman is what this episode is called. I have just watched both Batman 89 and Batman Returns uh, today as of this recording. I have not seen either one of these films in a long, long time. But to get some just the facts out of the way in case you didn't know, which I don't know why you wouldn't, Batman...
Vicki Vale. Bruce Wayne. And what do you do for a living? Lieutenant, is there a six-foot bat in Gotham City? Nice outfit. You look fine. I didn't ask. I have given a name to my pain. What are you? I'm Batman. My life is really complex. Wing freak terrorizes. Wait till they get a load of me. We're going to start with Batman 89, obviously, directed by Tim Burton. Produced by John Peters and Peter Guber, G-U-B-E-R. At first I thought it said Gruber. I'm like, wait a minute. Wrong person, wrong wrong franchise. <laughs> uh, it is obviously based off of, and I, I find this interesting, how they classify this. Based on characters appearing in magazines published by DC Comics. Magazines published by DC Comics. Interesting, because they used to be called magazines. Starring Jack Nicholson, Michael Keaton, Kim Basinger, Robert Wall, Pat Hingle, Billy D. Williams. Hey, what's Lando doing in here? Oh, right, he's playing a DA. Michael Goff and Jack Palance. The music was done by Danny Elfman. The release date was June 19th, 1989 in Westwood, California, and then world or in, in the United States, uh, June 23rd, 1989. 126 minutes for Batman. And it supposedly had a budget of $35 million with a box office of $411.6 million. So it more than made its money back. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. And that's just the facts. Just the facts will be better or worse, depending on the film. We have three categories that we're going to analyze these films mm-hmm. with. And as I said, starting out with Batman our history with the film. Now the topics here are as follows. Did you watch the film in theaters? When was the last time you saw the film? What did you remember most about this film before catching up with it recently? And what level of a fan were you heading into prep work for this recording? I'll let you answer the first question first. Did you watch? Oh wait, you couldn't have watched this in theaters. You were three years old at the time. Yes, I was three. (laughs) Young whippersnapper, get off my lawn. I did not watch this in theaters. I was nine at the time. And what I remember is catching it when it hit uh, VHS at the time. I think in, I want to say by Christmas of 1990. Because I have a vivid memory of sitting in both JCPenney and Sears. Their entertainment uh, section at the time. And watching this on their TV at JCPenney and Sears while my mom was shopping. I remember being at Sears more than I remember being at JCPenney because Sears at the time back then was, you know, they, they had everything, but they also had a really cool electronics section. 
and they had TVs and this, that, and the other thing, and VCRs and Betamax and whatever. I remember just sitting there glued to the to the TV, and eventually I would have it on VHS myself at some point or another, and I did watch it at home, but I just have that vivid memory of Christmas 1990 watching this thing on VHS in a Sears store while my mother shopped. <laughs> as far as the last time I saw this film, it was probably a decade ago at this point, whenever we did movie week in review episode 25, I believe, or whenever we did the original uh, Batman coverage back in our old movie podcast, movie week in review. That was probably the last time I saw it as well. Yeah. And what I remember most about this film is a lot of things, actually. I remember not only the Prince soundtrack, because Prince was all over the music in this. I remember the Jenny Elfman score. I remember Michael Keaton as both Bruce Wayne and Batman. I remember Jack Nicholson having basically head credit. So the Joker got credit over Batman in this, which is fine. I mean, Jack, you think Jack Nicholson and you think Michael Keaton. I think the only other thing without actually looking anything up of Michael Keaton's at the time was I maybe saw a film probably after this that, that he was in, but I know he was in a bunch of other things in the 80s. Other things are the Batmobile. Oh, I, no one can ever forget the Batmobile, especially if you're a nine-year-old watching this movie. Yeah, that's just completely unforgettable. What about you? Well, I mean, I remember quite a bit about the movie, uh, mm-hmm. considering every time I watch something, I have a hard time forgetting it. Um <laughs> especially when I've seen it a million times uh, or what seems that way anyway. Uh, But no, I mean, I I liked uh, Keaton playing Batman and Bruce Wayne. I liked the Batmobile. I liked um, the suit, uh, even though all he could do was pivot at the waist. Um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, I remember how awkward it was to see him try and turn his head Mm -hmm. for a situation. And you just see his whole body like stiffly like turn, which is a departure from what they do now (laughs) with posable head. Um, But I mean, there was that. And then I I knew Keaton from a lot of his comedies. Mm -hmm. uh, Funny enough. Um, Some of them being uh, um, Johnny dangerously and um, man, there was just, there was so many other movies that I'd seen him in, but um, like Beetlejuice. Uh, yep. Uh, I mean, I mean, th- there were other right. comedies that he was in. I just, I don't remember them off the top yeah. of my head, but those two like kind of stood out for me. Um, but I always liked him as an actor. So it was kind of, uh, I, I didn't have this whole, you know, thought process of it has to be Keaton or it has to be, you know, this type yeah. of Batman. Cause at the time when I saw there it, was- I mean, for one, yeah, there was no other other than uh, Adam West, and that was a totally different take. And Nicholson was just creepy. <laughs> okay, so you want to know what's funny about this as I'm rewatching this today for this recording? And I'm sure other people, other podcasters have said this, and I think I've heard several of them say this. I 
on this specific watch through for this podcast, since this is a new discussion for us here inside this show, because this show is a new show on the GCRN, I wanted to pay attention to things and bring up things that I had never noticed before. And with Nicholson as the Joker, I see so much of Cesar Romero in him from 66. Just little things. It's the little, like, well, you know, it's the ways that he would kind of like hold himself or like Mm -hmm. lean forward and put his hands together as he's like cackling and doing the jumping around stuff. Right. Or, or the facial expressions. There were several times I'm like, ghosts of Cesar Romero, great Cesar Romero's ghost. Oh my God. You know, kind of thing. And the one, there was one time, I think it was when he was trying to pull up the Joker close to the end of the film. There was one time where Michael Keaton, at, as Batman, in the suit, where his face looked so much like Adam West. I'm hoping I can go back and get a screen cap of this to show everybody in the post. But it's one of those things where I'm like... Holy shades of Adam West. Like it was just so like, and I hadn't noticed it before. And a lot of things in this movie that stuck out to me were things that have always stuck out, but there's a lot of things that I completely forgotten about this movie. Like the fact that you have, um, you know, Lando Calrissian. I mean, I didn't forget the fact. I mean, I, I knew Billy D. Williams was Harvey Dent, but it was like, oh, it was a weird I, take. I it wasn't even a weird take. It was just Harvey Dent DA. There wasn't any twist. There wasn't any. Oh my God, he's going to eventually become Two Face or anything like that. And it's funny. I actually did some math on this. I was curious to know how old Billy D. was at the time that this film came out. In '89, he would have been 52 years old. He's 84 now. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> and it's just so, it's just, it has, I'm sure it has its problems and it has its critiques, but I literally was transported back to 1990 when I was watching this as a 10 year old watching this today. And I was looking out for various things. Um, there's a, uh, uh, in the scene where Batman crashes into the, the door, it's in the beginning of the film, where he throws something, like, after he and Vicky leave for the first time, he throws something in there afterwards, and I'm like, oh, I never noticed that before. It was just the little, little things, and yes, I do remember seeing Beetlejuice as a kid, because Beetlejuice came out in 88, and I probably saw that around 89 or so. Um, the dream team was always a fun one. We, we might have to watch that someday. That, that, that would be a good discussion, I think. But I mean, all of these actors in this, I mean, I mean, Nicholson, how can you go wrong with Jack Nicholson as the Joker? He's had a storied career before this film and even after it. Yeah. Just crazy, crazy stuff. What level of a fan were we heading into the prep work for this movie? I've always been a Batman fan. Ever since I was a kid, even before the before the movie came out, uh, heading into the prep work, I've been a Batman fan ever since. Kind of thing, you know. We've I've done eight years of the pull bag, and we've done loads and loads of Batman comic reviews over there. 
Uh, we've done Batman Top Ten type stuff over there. You and I did a whole Legends of the Dark Knight podcast where we covered BTAS and Batman Beyond. You know, so I, I'd always been a fan. And the funny thing is, when this movie came out, I told my mom, I want a real Batman suit. I think it was for like 1991 Halloween, maybe, or it might have been even for 1990 before the thing came out on VHS. I just remember seeing the suit or something, and I'm like, ooh, I want that. My mom <laughs> sent away for a uh, an iron-on. Mm-hmm. Remember, kids, iron-ons are these things your parents used to be able to just iron on your shirt to make a black shirt, a Batman shirt. So I had a black sweatshirt. She had the Batman iron on. She ironed that on. She actually made me Batman gloves and a, and a, and a cowl and cape because she used to sew. My mom used to sew all the time. So she went out and got the material and made this for me, and I was Batman one year for Halloween. So that's how much of a fan I was and still am. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a pretty big fan, actually, growing up because some of my first comics, some of my first toys, some of... Uh, I had a lot of the 89 film toys. I had uh, comics that kind of related to that with the Nightfall and everything else. Um, I, I had a huge interest in it. Plus, I loved the BTAS series, Justice League, Batman Beyond, um, a variety of series like that. So it wasn't that big of a deal to me <laughs> to right. to want to do this. Plus, the fact that I've always been a fan of Michael Keaton's. Uh, Mm -hmm. So pretty much like anything he's in, I'll pretty much watch it. Uh, And and these like Johnny Dangerously and um, uh, other films he's done like Multiplicity and some things uh, from the 80s and 90s, it kind of helped me watch this anyway. Uh, I think I saw this when I was five. Oh, cool. The one thing I will say about the Burton films, though is I would not show them to children today. More no. so Batman Returns than Batman, but we'll get to Batman Returns in a little bit. Yeah, well, when we get to that, I've got a story. <laughs> oh, boy. I took a couple of notes getting into like the film breakdown of it all. It's always fun to see where they end up putting the Shakespeare bust in whatever Batman thing they're doing, because obviously the Shakespeare bust is a reference to the bat poles from 66. It is on Grissom's... Um, desk or whatever it's behind him when he sits down to make the call to Eckhart to set up Jack. Mm -hmm. So I noticed that there in the, in this rewatching this time, I noticed a lot of lines that I've never noticed before when Vicky is obsessed with Bruce and she's talking to Knox. He, she walks away and he says, forget about Bruce Wayne. I'm on to Batman. I never noticed that line before. <laughs> Not saying it wasn't ever there, because obviously it was, but, you know, I don't know. What are some highlights and lowlights of the film for you? Hmm. Highlights? Uh, well, I, I love where Bruce is in his house and Joker has made his way within and decides he's going to try and kill him. And, and Bruce is like, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Oh, Which, that's what he was at Vicky's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, either way, like I, right, right. that's yeah. one of my favorite, one of my favorite scenes because it's only something that I feel like Keaton could pull off. Now you want to get nuts? Come on. Let's get nuts. Absolutely. Out of all the Batmans we've had over the years, I, I think Keaton's is the only one that could pull off that kind of a crazed, 
version of him. And I, I, I loved that aspect. Plus I, I like, uh, we got to see this, this big, uh, computer for the Batmo or the, the bat cave. And we got to see, yeah. um, him methodically sitting there planning things out, being more of a detective, not just a th- guy beating the crap out of people. Um, yep. And so I, I feel like that that, uh, I mean, plus it inspired the animated series. So there's a lot of highlights with this, the theme song, the by Danny Elfman, the, um, the renditions we got, the colors, the, the fact that, you know, Tim Burton brought this to life and made it into something. Uh, the fact that because of uh, these two films, there's the likelihood uh, it's still in, in the rumor stage, but it's still the likelihood that this Batman will be reprising in the current DC EU. Yeah. And, and that is a huge highlight. Now the low lights, I didn't care for the Prince songs. I didn't care for um, some of the, some of the henchmen aspects, some of the hokiness with it. I, I didn't care for the, the twisting at the waist for him to, to look around, but uh, on a grand scheme of things, like I, I enjoyed the majority of it and I, I liked that we got the bat wing. We got uh Joker shooting it out of the sky. <laughs> yeah. That's a big gun there. Joker. Yeah. Um, I think he's compensating for something. Yeah. Always. And, and then, then, you know, his, in his death scene, I didn't feel like was, I mean, I understood it, but I was kind of like, Oh <laughs> yeah. His, his death scene was way more traumatic than I remember it being. I remember it being just like, you know, as a, as a 10 year old watching this, I'm like, Oh, road run, you know, Wiley coyote splat. Obviously that's not what it is, but you know, for me highlights, it, I'm not the biggest Prince fan in the world, but at the same time, I don't dislike the guy's stuff. And I thought it was ingenious where they put the songs in the movie to the beats of the fit. Like, I mean, party man in the scene where he's in the museum and wrecking all the paintings and whatever else. And like, I like how they used it in the film kind of thing. Same thing with, uh, with trust, like Mm -hmm. Joker's whole thing at, at the, at his 200th birthday thing is like, who do you trust? Who do you trust? And, you know, that's kind of ironic that they use that. Um, the low lights for me, I wish Vicky was in something else. Like, I know Vicky was created for this film, but I wish we had, like, back then, I wish we had seen her in, say, the animated series or other DCAU stuff or in other animated film stuff from the DC animated universe stuff that they've been doing for years now. Um, She was okay, but she was never, ever going to be a, uh, a consistent character past this film. Um, And the other thing that I really, on this rewatching that I didn't really like was the whole misdirection with the parents' deaths because you essentially see it twice. The beginning one where it's uh, Jimmy, the little kid, and and Harold, and, and like that's basically to set up the plot of, oh, 
Joker killed his parents. And then you actually get to see it again where it's actually Thomas, Martha, and Bruce. That always confused me as a kid. It was like, okay, we saw this scene in the first part of the movie. Why are we seeing it now? Uh, this has to be one of the most quotable Batman films ever. There's oh, yeah, so and it was many, fun. Yes, so many quotes. Steve, you're my number one guy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Uh, a giant bat, man, I'm telling you, a giant bat. Uh, what are you? I'm Batman, you know. And he still that. uses that quote today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, was it last 2020 or 2019? I think it was 2020 that, that there was a video floating around, and I'll find it and link it in the show notes somewhere. Well, he did a, a graduation instead yeah. of there, and then at yeah, the end yeah, he's yeah. like, I'm Batman. Batman. Yeah. And he does it still like in, in just about everything that he shows up on. Yep. Do you have a favorite special effect from this film? I mean, I don't really think so. It was pretty much, uh, I don't know if I would call any of it really special effects. Well, they're all practical, but I mean. Yeah, well, I'm saying like, I wouldn't call it like when I think of special effects nowadays, I kind of think of they had to use some kind of a CGI aspect or something to make it look extra you know, sleek and shiny, but I, I mean, I guess I would consider some of the technology mm-hmm. more than anything else. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I would per se say that it's special effects is something in here. For me, the biggest one, even though it was also a practical effect and I love practical effects. Don't get me wrong. I don't always need to see CGI and whatever else. Um, but it was the Batmobile's shields. I loved that. Yeah. I freaking loved that. I thought that yeah, was Yeah, I guess so that counts good. as a special effect. <laughs> yes. Oh, it was so good. I loved it so much. And it was so funny because I, again, distinctly remember going after the Batmobile that year for Christmas. Even though the movie was still in theaters... Christmas of 89, when that Batmobile came out, and I was kind of let down because the how they did the shields on the original toy mm-hmm. was just a black plastic overlay where you just set it on top of the car. <laughs> well, I mean, what were they supposed to do? Well, you wouldn't right, press a button, but... Obviously. Um, although, you know, the Returns version of the toy split apart into three components. Yep, yep. Which, always one side, the spring never wanted to stay. <laughs> nope. <laughs> All right, so how the film held up. Did the film... So the, these are the questions that we'll be asking each other and, and other potential guests in the future, as well as you heard last week with, with uh, Mike the Burman Dodd and myself. Did the film keep your interest throughout? Are you itching to watch the next film now? Would you recommend this film to people? Overall grade GCR and Universal Rating System. All right, so I'll let you go first. Did the film keep your interest throughout this time around? I would say so. I mean, I I enjoyed the the pacing. I enjoyed that it it wasn't. I mean, you look at a lot of modern superhero films; they're way too long. <laughs> uh, and I'm not saying that to like be like a curmudgeon on the old stuff, but I I feel like 
there's a point where they just throw a lot of extra in that could be cut. And this had just the perfect amount of everything. And uh, you, you had a little bit of, of Bruce Wayne. You had a little bit of Batman. You had a little bit of Joker. You had a little bit of pre Joker. You had a little bit of, you know, the, the da- dancing between the two of them and in him selling his beauty products and, um, yep. you know, the smiling fish <laughs> type thing. Uh, mm-hmm. yep. And uh, so uh, you got a little bit of the taste of everything and I, I feel like it still holds up relatively well. It's still, it looks dated in cinematography, uh, compared to everything that's out now where there's some of it, they try and have it somewhat stemmed in realism, but it's not full of like all of that crazy special effects to just kind of simulate a bunch of crap for the sake of having it. Right. So I don't know. I, I feel like it held up pretty well. Yeah. I, this film, cause I haven't watched it in years. I, I've had it on I, a couple of years ago. I grabbed the, the four pack thing on voodoo. So that's where where I have the film and I hadn't seen it. Like I said, in a decade or so. And I was like, Ooh, okay, cool. The only parts that really kind of didn't keep my interest was Joker's obsession with Vicky at times. And what he did to elite with the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Isha and that kind of thing. But overall, I was glued to my... TV watching this, I could not like, I might've paused to take a screen cap or something, or I might've paused to take a bathroom break or something. But like overall, I loved watching this movie. As far as itching to watch the next film, not really for me. I I was never, and, and we'll get into that discussion when we go to Batman returns here in a little bit, but I was never a fan of it. It's my least favorite of the four. But were you itching to watch the next one after this? Um, I was only for the fact that it has Keaton. Mm-hmm. I wasn't because it was just a downright creepy movie. <laughs> In more ways than one. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Would you recommend this to people in general, not kids or anything like that, but just would you recommend people watch this movie? The first one, yes. Because ultimately it set the tone for everything that's come since. Right. Yeah, I would recommend this to anybody and just, you know, check it out and see if you, you know, if especially if someone wants to get into Batman I would say check this out. I'm sure there's plenty of other things I can have them check out before this, but on a film level, on a specifically strictly movie level, I would have them watch this and then have them explore other things. Mm -hmm. And finally, our GCRN universal rating scale, we we go zero to five with half points as well. What would you give this one? Zero to five. I'd probably give it a four. 
Okay. I've been doing this with some podcasts because I actually realized we still have these listings on the website. For those that don't know, on our rating scale, a 4.0 is really good. The overall quality is very high and surely to be positive, a positive experience for all those that partake. The issues that are there are impossible to ignore, but not predominant enough to have a large impact on your experience. Returning to it in the future may allow you to forgive certain problems, but may also lead to discovery of new ones. And that's interesting because I noticed that, like I said, I was noticing a lot more things that I had never noticed before with this. I'm also going to give this a four. I really dug it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was interesting. It's a great take on... Batman, it's, I wish it explored Batman and Bruce a little bit more, but I understand in the time constraints and whatever, you you really couldn't do that. So there is that. We are going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about Batman Returns after this. Ah, brave new world that has such putzes in it. You know, kids, a lot has changed while your old Uncle Joker's been away. New Gotham new rules, even a new Batman. It isn't 65 years in the future, but Legends of the Dark Knight has gone beyond. Batman beyond, that is. Ah, the new boy. Ears are too long and I miss the cape, but not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. Join Steve and Mike as they delve into the remaining episodes of the podcast where they'll cover Batman Beyond, products, games, and more. Check it out only on geekcastradio.com. From the sewers of Gotham, a new villain emerges. You didn't invite me, so I crashed! From the rooftops of Gotham, the perfect enemy comes to life. And the only one who can save this city is a creature of the night. Hey, stud. I thought we had something together. We do. While she craves a romance she can sink her claws into. You can't into a girl like me. He plots a foul reign of destruction. My dear penguins, thanks to Batman, the time has come to punish all of Gotham!
Gotham looms its greatest hero. All right, folks, we are back, and it's time to talk about Batman Returns, obviously directed by Tim Burton. The It was produced by Tim Burton and Denise DeNovi, screenplay by Daniel Walters, story by Daniel Walters and Sam Hamm, based on characters appearing in magazines published by DC Comics. This time around, the cast is as follows. Michael Keaton, Danny DeVito, Michelle Pfeiffer, Christopher Walken, Michael Goff, Pat Hingle, and Michael Murphy. Music by Danny Elfman. Release date was June 19th, 1992. 126 minutes for a runtime. 65 to 80 million budget. 282.8 million for a box office, supposedly. Now, here's the interesting thing with this one. I actually saw this in theaters. I was 12. (laughs) And... I just want to get this out of the way right now, folks. So there's no other arguments. I don't want to go any further with it. I just want to have it right here in this section of the podcast. Yes, I understand this movie takes place at Christmas time. They even mentioned trees. Hell, it takes place at two different Christmas times, 33 years ago and 33 years later. I get it. It's a film that takes place at Christmas time. Why in the hell anyone would want to watch this movie as a Christmas movie is beyond me. As I watch this through, I'm like, oh my god, this is the worst... Just for what happens in the movie, this is the worst Christmas-type film ever. Oh, I agree. It's it's morbid. Yeah, it's... I don't see how people are willing to watch this movie during Christmas time. I don't understand that at all. Um, so, uh, you know, we're not always going to have two films in the same podcast, folks. So we are going through the same format that we did with 89. Uh, yeah, I saw this in theaters with a, at the time I was at what they called a respite home. It was, kind of like a foster home, but it was for like, if, if you were being too out of control and your parents just needed a rest for you, you know, a rest from you kind of thing, or you needed some sort of behavioral modification thing. That's what it was at the time. But when I was at that home, one of the, one of the rewards we got, if, as long as we behaved ourselves was that they would take us to Batman Returns, and I had always wanted to go with my mom, and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't go because I want to go. And they're like, well, we're going. I'm like, okay, fine. Sorry, Mom. Can't help you. <laughs> kind of thing. And uh, I saw this in theaters. I was 12 years old, and I do not remember a damn thing about seeing this in theaters at all. Did you watch this in theaters? Uh, no, I saw it during a thunderstorm on cable. Ooh. <laughs> um, so I was trying to think of how old I was at this time. I think six. Yep. Yeah, six. And it scared the ever living crap out of me. <laughs> the The portrayal of Penguin just grossed me out, creeped me out. To this day, I have a hard time watching this film. Um. It's one that I avoid like the plague, not only because Christopher Walken's role is kind of just creepy as Penguin's handler, 
Um, but then Penguin is just, uh, just disgusting. <laughs> and I was expecting to see like, you know, something along the lines of what we got in the animated series or something along the lines of what we got in the, the 66 uh, show. And we get this, whatever this is. And then we get this weird version of Catwoman as well. Um, and I just, uh, yeah, I, I just, I couldn't <laughs> wrap my head around this film. It, it was just creepy to, as all get up. I, yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, <laughs> and the last time I saw it once again was probably when we were doing M wire over a decade ago now kind of thing. So I had, I like, I will not out of the four films. This is the one I've seen the least. Uh, I just, it, it is what it is. Uh, I want to take a look at, cause we highlighted Michael Keaton's filmography earlier. I want to highlight, uh, Danny DeVito's a little bit here because I mean, the first thing I saw him in probably was wait, what? Oh, he was in the video for it, I guess. Um, Probably, hmm. Ooh, My Little Pony the movie. What's he doing in there? Uh, yeah. First thing I ever saw from Danny DeVito was a film from 1987 called Throw Mama from the Train. It was him and Billy Crystal. I absolutely loved that. Um, War of the Roses, Other People's Money, obviously leading up to this Batman Returns. And then after that, I mean, the man has, you know, between Look Who's Talking Now and Renaissance Man and Last Action Hero, um, Junior with Schwarzenegger, Get Shorty, Matilda, Space Jam, Mars Attacks. He's in so many cool, interesting films that I've enjoyed over my lifetime. He was... um, Phil from Hercules in the Hercules film. Uh, Just a fun, fun character. Obviously, he was on Taxi. I remember watching Taxi as a kid, and I know Taxi is way too old for you because you weren't even born when that show aired. Um, But, yeah, I mean, the guy has done some really, really cool things in his career. Well, and what's funny is... Him and Michael Keaton and Tim Burton worked together again on Dumbo. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so would you say that about a decade ago was the last time you saw Batman Returns? When we oh, for sure. Year? I yeah. avoid this movie like the plague. Yep. Surprisingly, I don't remember much about this movie other than the Catwoman scenes with Hello There, Hell Here, uh, her and, and and Penguin doing their little dance at the beginning when she's on the bed and she swallows his bird after a while and whatever. But I didn't. what I didn't remember about this movie was all of the cool Batmobile scenes. Like everybody praises eighty nine for the Batmobile stuff and as rightful. Oh yeah, so. they took this one to another level and they had um Penguin remote controlling the yeah. Batmobile. Yeah. It was so fun and so funny and so interesting. I thought it was so cool. That's the coolest thing about this movie that I'll say is what happened with the Batmobile. 
What I also noticed this time around in watching this is how much Alfred's role actually was doing stuff to help Bruce as Batman. I forgot Alfred was down in the cave doing stuff. Well, and the funny thing is, is these these Tim Burton movies are what influenced how the animated series played out. Right. And the other two were not. Yep. Well, because again, when when we get to Schumacher's Batman, the other two were, okay, we need to make this more comic booky. We need to, you know, whatever. And I do not blame, and we'll, we'll talk about that way down the line whenever we get to that episode of the podcast. I don't blame Schumacher for anything. It's like, Warner Brothers. Yeah, it's it's Warner Brothers. Is it's what the it same is. problem that we have today. Yeah, true. They can't get out of their own way enough to make a good movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so film breakdown notes for me on this one. Highlights and lowlights for me of the film. What I noticed watching this is how much the plot shifts. And it shifts really, really fast at times. I'm like, oh, hey, we're now going to have a bunch of Catwoman scenes. Oh, hey, wait a minute. We're now going to have a bunch of Penguin scenes. And this to me right here, even though it was a fluid kind of thing of how they eventually were going to team up, the two of them, it basically created the whole one villain too many kind of thing. I blame Batman Returns for Spider-Man 3. (laughs) Because this is the movie where it's like, oh, hey, well, we had Joker in the last one. Too many villains. Now we got to bring in the love interest kind of thing with Selina and Bruce. And I like them as love interests. I like her being who she is and him being who he is, but they can also find a common ground. I like that. I think Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer had great chemistry, you know, even though he had to pull off his rubber mask at the end to, you know, whatever. I like her transformation. I don't like the supernatural aspect of Oh, that was one thing that creeped me out. This whole movie reminds me of shades of 2016 in California. (laughs) As soon as she died, as soon as Max Shrek killed her, all these cats come up to her. They're licking her. They're bite. I actually saw them biting her hand and I'm like, Oh my God. So now she has cat powers. Apparently she has nine lives. They took the cat thing way over the top in this movie. And it's so subtle with how over the top it is because you know, she comes in, does her sewing, does gets her costume ready and all that and everything else. She pours out the milk and then all the all the neighborhood kids, she doesn't just have Miss Kitty anymore. It's all the other cats that originally had say I'm like, oh my god, that's way too that's thirteen cats too many. Uh, um Penguin is creepy as hell. I like him trying to find his his parents and I kind of felt a little sorry for him because they were gone but come to find out that all of these names that he's compiling isn't him looking for his parents it's him looking for the firstborn sons of Gotham so he can kill them all because he was a firstborn son of Gotham that you know got left for dead it's a weird plot man it's weird, mm-hmm. it's twisted, and it's whatever. Uh, highlights, again, for me, are the Batmobile. 
Uh, I love the bat boat. I love that they didn't use the bat wing a second time, that they actually used the bat boat. I thought that was super cool. Well, got to sell more toys. True, but still, you know, it is what it is. What about highlights and lowlights for you for Batman Returns? Well, highlights, like you mentioned, is the, the Batmobile, all of the different tricks that it got to do, the remote control aspect, the, the, the bullet car uh, yeah. pop apart. Um, so, I mean, there, there were those aspects. And again, the Batboat. Uh, you get to see Penguin's uh, boat, uh, which at a car show, I actually saw the Batmobile and Penguin's. Yeah, the duck boat. Uh, duck I boat. love the duck yep. boat. <laughs> I had pictures with me in those. Oh wow! Uh, I for the life of me cannot find them now. Uh, I, I'm sure they're somewhere, but I remember sitting in them and just being over the moon about it because uh, you know what kid doesn't want to sit in the Batmobile? Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, the I mean, Batman got a new suit in this. Uh, he can turn he, his head a little more. Yeah, he can turn his head a little bit more. He got a new uh, belt and a new um, chest plate, basically, on a suit. Um, I was not... The lowlights for me would probably be the storyline of where they, they went with Penguin and Catwoman because yeah. it was just strange. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a Tim Burton movie, and Tim Burton does make strange films, but this to Yeah, me- but, I mean, we even got that in one of the Schumacher ones. Uh, I mean, technically, both of them had that kind of weird... I mean, I, I believed uh, the first one with Val Kilmer more than I did the George Clooney one, which was just weird as well. I, well, we'll get to that. But for a Tim Burton film, though... I mean, this is out there. This is Tim Burton meets Batman on acid, I think. I I agree. Because here's the thing. Like, all as I can think of is every other Tim Burton movie I had seen before this. Specifically, Edward Scissorhands. That's the only one I can actively think of that I think is slightly stranger than this movie. Um... It just, it's just one of those things, man. And I'm glad he did the directing for this. The, you know, I don't, you know, whatever. Again, he's he's doing paid for hire work here. But it's one of those things where it was a little bit too much Tim Burton-y, I think, on this, on this one. No, uh, I, I definitely agree with you. Yeah. And the pacing of the movie, as I mentioned earlier... It seemed like we were going from plot to plot to plot to plot to plot so fast. And then it would slow down the plot for a while. And I'm like, okay, you're going to focus on one part of this, please. As I said earlier, I do like Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman. I do like her version of Selena. It's not my number one favorite version, but watching this this time around, I was like, ooh, I can kind of see her and Michael Keaton doing something as Batman and Catwoman in the future. Anything else you want to bring up? Any favorite character moments or favorite special effect in this one that you saw that you want to talk about? 
Uh, I mean, the, the, the best special effects were at the Batmobile. Everything else was kind of out there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Same thing with me. Um, going to the how the film held up, did it keep our interest throughout? For me, it did this time, even though I had problems with it. I was pausing this more and checking other parts of social media more than I was when I watched 89. But I still, but by the time the third or fourth or the final act kind of started going through, I'm like, okay, this is cool. I'll watch this. What about you? I decided mentally after seeing it that this was not one I wanted to rewatch. So I would give it probably like a 2.5 to three. Okay. Would you? All right. So since you jumped to the ratings, uh, 2.5 on the scale of GCRN's universal scale below average, the cons slightly outweigh the pros while negatives aren't overbearing. They are far too plentiful to make it worthy of a recommend. There might be a certain redeeming qualities that are worth your time. However, in the end, the product leaves you wanting more. Uh, I'm going to give it a 3.0. I uh, No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm probably going to give it a 2.5 as well. I just... I wanted this rewatch to be slightly better. Like I wanted the film to be slightly better on this rewatch and I knew going into it, it was not going to be, but I was trying my best to hope that it would be. Sadly, that's, that's not the case. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I couldn't do it. (laughs) It, It's just, I, I tried and it's just, I, I, I don't blame Tim Burton and Keaton for not wanting to come back for a third. Yeah. This is a film that I would most definitely not recommend to people. At I, I would recommend Batman and Robin before I recommend this. Uh, is that the the fourth movie? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go that far, but <laughs> um, but I would at least recommend Batman Forever yeah. over this. Oh, absolutely. Because at least then I get Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty then. Or as some of the Star Wars memes say, Alderani then. What a Uh, rush. What a rush. That's right. All right. We're going to take a quick break. You're going to hear some other podcast ads and things like that. And we're going to come back with final words and all that good stuff and closing of this episode of Studio 2009 after this. Because the world needs another movie podcast. The GeekCast Radio Network presents for your listening pleasure, The Cinema Geek. Hosted by Amanda, Kevin, Matt, and Dan. Each week we dive headfirst in the landscape of movies as we discuss movie news, play movie games, go in-depth on reviews, and even have a top 10 countdown or two. Also, don't miss our director retrospective series, where we review noted director's movies, film by film. Bottom line is, if you love movies and love podcasts, you need to experience the Cinema Geeks. You can find us on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, or geekcastradio.com. Decian, the superhero webcomic. Decian's got superhero antics and sexy girls. For action, comedy, mayhem, and more, read it now at decian.com. D-A-S-I-E-N dot com. By the power of Grayskull, I command the Jawbridge. Open! Open! 
Powers of Grayskull series will cover every episode of all four Masters of the Universe cartoons. Join Optimus Solo and myself, TF2 and Mike, as we tell tales of Eternia, discover the myths of Etheria, become masters in space, and finally masters of Grayskull. We'll have a commentary on the Secret of the Sword film and a few other special episodes. You can find this 125-episode-long podcast in iTunes and on the web at geekcastradio.com. By the power and honor of Grayskull, we all have the power. Hurry, Skeletor, hurry! I am hurrying, I'm hurrying! I know what we're doing today. Okay, Michael, if we're going to tackle this podcast thing, we've got to do something really special. It has to be cool, daily, in audio form, and undetectable by radar. Something that screams summer. I know, let's do a Phineas and Ferb review podcast. We'll call it the Podcast Organization Without a Cool Acronym, or PALCA for short. What do you think? I think if we're not careful, Candace is going to bust us. You can find PALCA on the GeekCast, Radio Network, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, and all of the other methods you find podcasts. Okay, then. Carry on. I am shocked and dismayed. Well, now you can't be both. You be shocked, I'll be dismayed. Coming in 2016, Steve Megatron and myself, TF2 and Mike, bring you a brand new TV review show. Welcome to Podcaster Meets World. That's right. We're launching a Boy and Girl Meets World review podcast here on the GCRN. It'll take us 70 episodes of the podcast to review all 158 episodes of Boy Meets World. After that, we will tackle Girl Meets World. You can find Podcaster Meets World on GeekCastRadio.com and iTunes starting late summer, early fall 2016. So come on and walk through the world with us. I love the thing they call. All right, we are back here inside Studio 2009. And do you have anything that you think was missed? Anything that we didn't go in depth on? Did we not talk about the plot enough? I, I would like to think that people know these movies like we do, like the back of their hand. I mean, we're not actually recording this show for people who have never heard of Batman 89 and Batman Returns. But is there anything you think that we missed? It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Um, well, that we got to see, uh, um, Paul Rubens in both this and Gotham. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he kind of had a um return in the fact that Cobblepot is his son. Yep. <laughs> in that both. Really, yeah, that was really good. I forgot. And even watching Returns now, when I watched it for this, I'm like, that does not look like Pee Wee Herman at all. No, but when but when he was on Gotham, I'm like, oh yeah, that's definitely that's definitely Pee Wee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the one thing I want to bring up before I close out this episode of two, uh, Studio 2009 is other things that Burton had directed. Um, Edward Scissorhands was after this; it was in '90, so I probably saw that around '91. 
I thought it was before that. Obviously, Ed Wood, uh, Sleepy Hollow, Planet of the Apes from 2001, uh, Big Fish, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Tim Burton definitely has a style all his own. And uh, I would say it's an acquired taste, but every actor, actress, director, depending on how you come away from watching their content, everybody's an acquired taste. Hell, even certain podcast hosts are an acquired taste. I'm sure most people aren't listening to my voice anymore. (laughs) You know, because whatever. Anyway, uh, thank you for joining us here inside the studio. If you'd like to get in contact with us, leave feedback for the show. There are several ways to do so. Visit the website, geekcastradio.com, where you can comment on this and all of our other episode posts, not just from this show, but all the other shows we do. Send any email to feedback at geekcastradio.com. Just put Studio 2009 in the subject line. Here are all the ways you can listen to us nowadays. Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, the home where our files exist, Spreaker. Leave the show's feedback in iTunes. Please do this. I'm not even sure if this is linked to our iTunes page yet. We'll have to figure that out later. I'm pretty sure it is. Okay. Anyway. Follow us on Twitter. At Geekcast Radio is the network Twitter. It's I-T-S-S-T-U-D-I-O 2009 is the show Twitter. I am at TFG and Mike. What is your Twitter? At SCP21. Become a fan on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash geekcast radio network. And you can also check out Studio 2009 podcast over there as well. Join us next time when Steve and I will be getting the podcast approach of Lady Wreck. That's right. Amy, a.k.a. Lady Wreck, will be on podcast approach. For now, I am TFG and Mike with... Steve Megatron Phillips. You'll hear us back in the studio soon. Hey, creep. Children are watching this movie. Wait, so let me get this straight. The penguin gets penguins and a clown army, and the Joker gets Bob? You are my number one guy. That's fair. 